A little girl came into her dad's office. Her dad was a pastor. She came into his study one morning and said to his to her father, who's the pastor, Does God really speak to you as you prepare your sermons? In response to his affirmative, she said to him, Then why do you tear up so much and throw it away? Of course, that goes back before computers, doesn't it? In order to worship God as king, there needs to be a sense of his power and his presence. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. We looked this morning into Psalm 2. The psalm has been referred to by many as the Psalter, and Durham in his commentary makes reference to the psalms in this way. He writes, The Psalter presents Israel at worship and is truly Israel's faith on him and prayer. The theology enshrined in it is thus a vital theology, as alive and breathing as the praise and penitence, suffering and petition of the people whose religious expression the Psalms are. He goes on to write that such a theology should be both profound and shallow, heavenly one moment and earthbound the next, should go without saying. Psalm 2 gives us a sense of the presence of God. It's God revealing His Word to mankind through the psalmist. Psalm 2 also gives us a sense of royalty. There are 11 psalms, according to some scholars, 11 psalms that crowd around the theme of royalty. When that time the king was crowned and came to the forefront and a new king established and the people would celebrate that God is in control of the royalty of the king. He's in control of the leader. So no questions were asked as they celebrated. Martin Luther once wrote, I love that psalm with all my heart. If I were the Lord God and had committed the government to my son as he to his son, and these vile people were as disobedient as now they be, I would knock this world to pieces. End of quote. Mercifully this morning, Martin Luther is not and was not God. But do you, along with me sometimes, feel that way about the world in which we live? A world that seems to care less and less about God and the things of the Spirit all the time? When authorities in government seem not to be aware of God's place, when those in education seem to have distanced themselves from any understanding of creation, when a person gets national support for killing children in utero, when someone passes you rapidly on the four lane, when someone cheats in exams and gets away with it. One of the things I'm privileged to do from time to time in my spare time, to proctor exams for online education. And so we show up with 50 to 100 students in the gym and we spend time uh, making sure all the details are sorted out. And in in Vancouver particularly, uh, the way things are, you need to make sure who they are uh, is proven by various kinds of uh, identification because people cheat 
People try other things. We had one student who came in last year and pretended to be the teacher and thought they could pull that off with identification. Doesn't it just frustrate you when you hear some stories like this of people who simply forget that there's a God at all? Do you sometimes feel God's not in control? Psalm 2 addresses some of these thoughts. Psalm 2 raises some of these uh, challenges that our world continues to raise. There are four voices this morning I want to refer to in Psalm 2. Four different voices that address the subject as we come this morning to celebrate the Lord's table, as we come to worship the King. There are four different voices we find in this psalm. And after we hear briefly from those four voices, we can come around this table and remind ourselves again who God is. The first voice this morning, Psalms uh, 2, verses 1 to 3, is basically the voice of rebellious men and women. Not a quiet voice, not a silent voice, then and now. Verse 1 indicates that all is vain, useless, because of rebellious leaders who plot against kings, who plot against holiness and against the Creator God. Today, our King... God himself in the lower mainland is worshipped on the Sunday morning, probably uh, amongst believers, about 5% of the lower mainland are at worship this morning in churches around here. About 5% worship regularly in the lower mainland. We live where people, the average person around us, worships things, wealth, time, maybe a degree, a crop, a person, a child. People in educational and political authority blaspheme God in private and sometimes even in public. The corruption of power cannot live, according to the psalmist, cannot live at ease alongside the constraints of the church, the constraints of the living God. There's a tension there, a tension that's greater between, as I prayed this morning, uh, the Muslims and the Christians in Nigeria, going after one another, killing Month on end, thousands of believers dying. That's a tension. That's a tug of war. That's a battle. And the tug of war between the world as we understand it and the nature and love of God continues in our midst. So on one hand, you have the truth about God, a tug of war with mankind's rebellious voice that the psalmist refers to this morning, that rebellious voice. A tug of war between God's holiness And mankind's sin, a tug-of-war we've all recognized when we confess Christ, a tug-of-war between God's holiness and man's sin on the other side. And we, His anointed, sometimes might feel the world is also our enemy. Sometimes the voice of the world is subtle. Sometimes it is unashamed. Verse 3 says, let us break their chains and throw off the shackles. And it's a reference to morality. It's a reverence to the way people live. For in our day, morality is relative, apparently. You can make moral decisions that aren't the same for everyone. It's relative. It depends when you make decisions about how you live on how you feel. And so one day you may decide one thing because you feel this way, and the other day you may make another decision of how you live because you feel another way. Morality today is relative. Men and women, and some of you, would say that I can do what I want as long as nobody gets hurt. You've heard that expression. You've maybe had a loved one say that to you. As long as no one's hurt, nothing's wrong. And so men and women today take their stand 
against the Creator God. A thief is admired, at least on television. If they get a great haul, we, some, we somehow find ourselves identifying with that in a positive way. A man who disrespects life remains in the news for weeks. God does not have a primary place any longer or control in the lives of so many. People commit terrible crimes against each other here in Canada. In the New Testament, when then too in the book of Acts, the church wrestled with the power of those in authority. You'll remember so many stories. Let me just refer to one because it refers back to Psalm 2. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had been arrested for behaviors unbecoming to the leadership of the town. And on their release, Peter and John, it says in verse 23, went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Their enemy were the chief priests and elders. Verse 24, and when they heard this, that is their friends, they raised their voices together in prayer. Sovereign Lord God, they said, you made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in it. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David and our father David. And they're repeating what they affirm. They're repeating what they believe. And then they quote from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and people plot in vain? The kings of earth rise up and rulers band together against the Lord and against the anointed one. They ask the question then. It's asked in Psalm 2. It's asked again today. Verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, if you like, whom you anointed king. So they came back and shared with the people what had happened, and they talked amongst themselves. And then we find the response to reviewing Psalm 2 and reviewing what the writer said in the psalm. And then in verse 28 they say, and following, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And the folks, as they came back to their party, were enthused once again as they battled the world and the religious world around them. So the first voice we hear, the voice of rebellious men and women, men and women the psalmist addresses. He knows about, he's familiar with it, as maybe you and I are this morning. And maybe somewhat frustrated you are. And if I've raised a level of frustration in your heart, that's okay. Live with attention for a moment. The second verse, or the second voice we hear in verses 4 to 6, is the voice of the living God. You get a sense of the change of pace as soon as you look at verse 4. The one enthroned on heaven laughed. The God of the Lord scoffed. At what? He scoffs at the rebellious nature of men and women at what they're doing, what they're thinking, how they're acting. The Lord God laughs. You see the tension change. The voice change. It's the voice of the living God. We have God's answer to man's rebellion. My king, and in this particular context, likely with this psalm, the king has just been enthroned. The king has just been established. There's a new king over Israel, and everybody's at the celebration. And Psalm 2 is used in praise and celebration for the contrast between rebellious people and God the king and Lord is there before them in the leadership that stands before them. His anointed stands before them. As you know, the Psalms were always or often used in worship and often used in coronation of leadership. 
And so the context is one of security provided by God the King for the King who's their anointed. It's a sense of security. It's a sense of things are okay as the Father laughs at the rebellion of the people around. You might have been aware this last several weeks of the debate around the Festival of Hope in Vancouver. And on Friday night, seven, as I prayed, 750 made professions of Christ there at Rogers Arena. Last night, another 500 people came forward to accept Christ. And in the midst of the confusion and dialogue amongst Christian leaders, God is at work. In the midst of things said and done, for whatever reasons, God is at work. That's the voice of the living God. That's the voice of the person of Jesus. And so in Psalms, it was a celebrative event. Truth was winning out. The voice of the living God goes against man's sin with the help of his son. And the reference too, as you realize, in Psalm 2, goes back and forth between the son, the king selected, the king who is selected, and the son who is, of course, Jesus, the very son of God. Verse 5, God's wrath is mentioned. Dear friends, the voice of the living God is wrathful at times. It is judgment at times. God's wrath is not unfair. It is just. It is our perspective of the Father in His justness. In the context of man's smallness, man's limitations, man's sinfulness, and eventual trip to hell, if they do not know Jesus, you have the contrast of God who provides a king and a leader and a way out and a means of salvation. Again, the contrasts are strong. For God provides a means of escape from hell, a place of separation from God himself. Hell, it turns out, is soundly biblical and is just for deliberate sin, for ongoing rebellion. A little child continues to step over that line. You know what I mean by the line, parents? A little child continues to step over the line. A little child continues to go against a fairly, neatly, firmly, and justified line. Something that's been explained by mom and dad so clearly. And they step across the line. You know, kids are, are, are that way, of course. Some adults are too. But we taught our dogs, several dogs over the years. We were fortunate to have dogs. And we would create in our house, for two of our dogs, at different times over the years, a, a, a rule that the dog could not go from the tile to the carpet. And, you know, you can te- anybody can teach animals, and we were able to teach this, both dogs this trick in different houses. And I would watch as this smart, intelligent uh, uh, collie would be on the floor, on the tile, lying on the floor, and we're having lunch, and stick his paw across the line onto the carpet. Honestly, stick his, her, in this case, her paw, across the line on the carpet. It's the nature It's the nature to know what the line is and to try to step over it. That's what the psalmist is getting at. And our nature is to fail. And God's nature is to heal. Our nature is to fall. And His nature is to rise up. That's what the psalmist is telling us. That's the voice of the living God this morning. And so we as a church celebrate that a pastor has been anointed. We celebrate this morning that God, taking His time not our time, taking his time, has anointed a pastor for this church. That's what the psalmist is dealing with. God's anointed. God's chosen. And we celebrate that this morning for the voice of the living God 
friends, is as real as the teasing and testing of children. The third voice this morning is from 7 to 9, verses 7 to 9. This, my friends, as I've hinted at, you may guess already, of course, is the voice of the Son. You have the voice of rebellious men and women. You have the voice of the living God. And you have then, number three, of the voice of the Son. Another voice in history, another voice established in history from the dawn of time that will speak again when time ceases. The voice of the Son. The newly chosen King says, I have heard the voice of God ask of me. What do you want to know? The Son says. It's the message to a rebellious world. The King is God's choice. Ask the Son, who has the power of the Father God, inherited, verse 7. And Jesus says to you and I who are tired, ask of Him. Jesus says to you and I who are laboring under sin and pain and loss, ask of Him. Hear the Son's voice. He is power unquestioned. Those who really hear cannot refuse the love gift of the Son. Those who really hear cannot refuse the gift of acceptance and forgiveness and the sense that the King, the Father, loves them. But friends, this morning, the problem is in the hearing, isn't it? The problem is that we hear the sound of a rebellious world. We hear the sound of friends and workmates and schoolmates and educators of a rebellious world that does not acknowledge God. And that tension lives with us, even in our retirement years, even in our senior years. The voice of the sun is crowded out, it seems, by a rebellious world. You may have seen, and this describes to me the nature of the world we fight. You may have seen the illustration this week on the news if you watch those things. Two little boys, probably five or six years old, are pictured and they're at the barbershop. And the way the story is told on the news, these two boys are going in to get their hair cut and they're going to trim their hair to, to have a, all the hair gone, absolutely gone. Shave it right off, the two of them. So they both go to the barber and they shave their heads. And why are these two little five-year-olds shaving their heads? Well, because when they go back to the classroom, they want to have the teacher not be able to tell them apart. They want to fool the teacher. And as you watch the video, your eyes are open because one boy is white and one boy is black. When our twins were four years old, we lived in Winnipeg. Same story. And they used to talk about two friends named Jason. And they would talk about visiting Jason in his home. And back then when our twins were four years old, they're 45 now. When they're four years old, they could wander around the community and they'd go for a few hours and come back. And so, but they come home and talk to us about these two Jason friends named Jason. And of course, Judy and I were wondering, well, tell us more about them. And they would describe them and where they live and all this kind of thing. And, and one day, one of the Jasons showed up at our house at our back door, knocked on the door, and he was black as the ace of spades. And our girls did not know enough to describe him by color. They hadn't got it yet. They hadn't been taught by our society in rebellion against God that there's a difference. Whether it's race or color or faith, the rebellious world, the tension we live with, tells us something that isn't even true. And four-year-olds know the difference. Four-year-olds know reality. These two little boys getting their hair cut, they know they can fool the teacher if they're both bald. Friends, 
It's the voice of the Son coming to us through the psalmist that says, we don't have to live that way. Everyone will someday respond to that Son. Fourth voice and last this morning from verses 10 to 12. What's the fourth voice? Praise God, the voice of prophetic ministry. Verse 10 to 12. The psalmist speaks prophetically. He speaks not about just the present and that king anointed. He speaks about kings and pastors anointed centuries later. And he speaks about the coming again of Jesus. It is the voice of prophetic ministry. It's about rulers and nations who will fail and fall and provinces that will come and go and, and clergy and cabinet ministers and prime ministers and presidents who will come and go. It's the voice of prophetic ministry. It's the psalmist speaking to us. And he says in verse 10, Kings be warned. Why be warned? What difference does it make, you say today? Because God is on his throne. And Jesus is the king. And Jesus has died and rose for us. And he's coming again. The psalmist knows it. And you know it. And I know it. Be warned, leaders. God's voice of warning has not faded. It has not lessened. It is still as clear today in the midst of abortions and euthanasia and the drug scene and rebellious music. God's prophetic voice still issues the warning of loving and serving Him. And so we preach about the King on the throne. No skepticism, my friends, can dilute the truth, the psalmist reminds us. The prophetic voice still rings true. God's word hasn't changed. And in verse 12, he writes, Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Does this message encourage you and me this morning? Can we worship the king around the Lord's table this morning? Can we set aside the tensions that are there, that are legitimate, between the world and ourselves, can we set aside those tensions, even briefly, in worship this morning and come to the table and celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done and that he's returning and that he loves you and me. He cares for you and me. Are you able to hear again the voice through history still today? Are you convinced with me that God is still on the throne? Then let's commune with him, his people around this table. Let's, as the church in East Vancouver, Ebenezer, be ready to speak the truth to our neighbors, not necessarily give them full freedom to blast on without any response. The full freedom to live the way they want without any caution or challenge. Let's be prepared to speak the truth to our neighbors, our friends, our workmates, our classmates, to invite the lost, the hurting, the separated to walk through these doors to walk through these doors and meet the same God who the psalmist knew, the same God who helped him pen those words. And this morning, I, only, I cannot conclude without suggesting that if you have not met Jesus and come to an awareness of who he is as your Lord and Savior, this is the place, this congregation, these people right here can meet and encourage you and tell you about Jesus and tell you about an eternal loving God, and share with you the simple message of love and acceptance and grace. If that's you this morning, you're in the right place, and you're welcome to celebrate 
with us as we celebrate around the table of the Lord, shall we pray. Our Father and our God, as we bow before you just now, we do so with such a deep, deep sense of your love for us. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.